John 17 will be where we'll be in the scripture this morning. John chapter 17. We'll look at the scripture from verse 1. Matthew 6, we've been given the Lord's Prayer. And this one is uh, probably described more as the Lord's Prayer than the one in, in uh, the one in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. That was a prayer to the disciples, and this one is the Lord's Prayer for the disciples. And I want us to look at this prayer this morning. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have, you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. From this point on, Jesus begins to pray for specifically for his disciples. And it's with that thrust that we want to look at the rest of that prayer today. Jesus' prayer for you and me and the disciples. He says, I have revealed you to those you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all that you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that while they may, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things that while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And now for the prayer for us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity 
to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them. I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself might be in them. Thank you for your patience in reading that entire chapter, and I generally don't read that uh, long of a passage of Scripture, but there was a reason for it this morning. I want us to see the prayer in its entirety. We're going to take sort of an overview of that prayer so that we can focus in on the most important request that Jesus had for his own disciples and for you and I. And unless we look at the whole thing and just fragment it, we'll miss a portion of it. And let's take it from a very simple beginning. To whom is Christ praying? His Father. How does he address him? He addresses him as such. He says, Father. He also says, the only true God. He also says, Holy Father. Righteous Father. It's important for us to see how Jesus is praying and to whom he is praying because he's seeing the very holiness and righteousness of his father and it's in that framework that he has this prayer for his disciples. It's important that we just note the words that describe to whom he is praying. And for whom is he praying? We've already covered that, but he said in verse 9, I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for those you have given me. And then later on we pointed out that he's praying for all believers. All of those who will believe according to their word. So his prayer is specifically not for the world, but for believers. In today's terminology, were these people saved? I think so. Look at verse 6. I have revealed you to those you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. And now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. And they know with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. They were believers. Now, for what purpose did Jesus pray? I've done a lot of look at this, looking into this whole prayer. And there's a lot of clauses that begin with that. That this would happen, that would happen. I pray that this would happen. And so I listed those things for you today. In verse 13, if you want to just follow along, we're going to pull out those that phrases that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. That's one of the petitions of Christ for the disciples and for us. He prays for joy. That we would have joy, that the disciples around him would have joy. That's found in verse 13. Another that phrase is found in verse 15. Protection. That you would protect them from the evil one. 
In praying for his disciples, Jesus was concerned that they would still have the protection that he had provided them from the evil one. Remember when Satan came and uh, temp- uh, to Jesus regarding Peter, and Peter made that great boast that he would not forsake Christ, and Christ said, I prayed for you. He was their protector. In verse 19, he prays that they would be truly sanctified. So he's praying for their sanctification, which is the real theme of this entire message. In verse 21, he says that the world may believe that you sent me. He is praying for the evangelistic thrust of his disciples. And he's saying, Lord, in this prayer that I have for my disciples, not only in this time, but all down through the the church age, I pray that the world may believe that you sent me. Be with them in that way. One of the things repeated around verse 22 is that they may be one. He prays for our unity. And he prays in verse 26 that the love you gave me would be in them. So he prays that they would experience a new dimension of love, the love that the Father and the Son shared together. And lastly, also in verse 26, that I may be in them. He's saying, would you just fill them up with the very spirit of my love and the spirit of my being to be filled with the very presence of Christ. Not a bad list, is it? (laughs) Well, you can't hardly look at that without being excited to say this Christ is ready to go to the Father. His concern is for the disciples. Those would carry on his ministry all down through time. And he says, I, Father, here's my petition, very specifically joy and protection and sanctification and help them in their evangelistic thrust. And they may be unified. They may have love one to the other. And also that they would be filled, filled up with my presence. That was on his heart. Addressing his Holy Father. And this is his request. Now, how was God going to do this? How was God going to take the prayer of the son for his church, for his bride, and answer that prayer? Well, also studying this entire prayer and looking at it very carefully and closely, noticing the tenses of the verbs and going into the Greek language a bit, studying It all focuses in on one verse. It's the verse that contains the action, the definite action verb. It's verse 17. He says to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. He had been with his disciples three years. According to the prayer, they had believed on him. They believed he came from the Father. They were not of the world, even as Christ is not of the world. And he says his prayer for them in verse 17 is, Father, sanctify them through the truth. But what does this mean? If this list that is before you, it's on the overhead projector, is going to be fulfilled through our lives, how is it done? Christ says, sanctify them. If you want the joy of the Lord and the protection of Christ and be successful in evangelism and have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and unity and love in your life, you'll have to have this prayer answered in your life as it was in the disciples. 
His prayer for his church is to sanctify. What's that mean? Well, one of the meanings of the word sanctify is to set apart. If we're used for things who were and, and people who were used for common use and then it became holy use. For men, it was used for turning from self and sin to the devotion of their hearts and their hands towards God to be used for holy purposes. An example of that was out of the tribe of Levi, one family was chosen to be the priest. They were said to be sanctified. They were said to be set apart for a certain service of God for the priesthood. That family had one tent that they used that was said to be sanctified for worship, set apart only for God, not for a dwelling, but for worship. That tent was said to be sanctified and it was called the sanctuary. There were vessels. Vessels that were once used for common purposes went through a purifying process and were only used then for God. There were sanctified fire, sanctified bread, sanctified oil, sanctified animals. All that was used for purposes for God alone was set apart and was said to be sanctified. None of those could be used for any other purpose from that time on other than service for God. Sabbath days were sanctified. The Sabbath is said to be sanctified for the Lord. It's set apart. It's not a part of the rest of the week. It's set apart for God alone. It's said to be sanctified. The tithe, it's set apart. That's God's. And it's set apart and sanctified and we return that back to the Lord as an offering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. You see, the church, part of what Christ was praying for the church, so these things could be fulfilled through us, is that we be sanctified, set apart from the world. In Romans, we're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The first meaning of the verb sanctify is to set apart for God's purposes. It is one of the meanings of the word here as Jesus is praying for us. We are to be set apart from the world for purposes of the kingdom of God. You see that right here in this word evangelism. If we're going to be effective as a church, we must be sanctified in the terms of being set apart from the world, coming out from the world. Now, it doesn't mean that you never have any associations or friendships with people of the world, but it means that you stop the practices of the world. The Bible has much to say about light, fellowshipping with darkness. It has much to say about comprehending and understanding. And we just need to be separate from the world. We're sanctified. Secondly, the meaning of sanctification comes from the word itself. The Latin for the word sanctify means to make holy. To make holy. You see, it's not enough just for us to come out from among them and be ye separate. A hermit could do that and would not be sanctified. So not only is there a need for being separated, but there's also a need to be purified, to be made holy. 
Christ is saying for these things to be accomplished in the church, they will have to be set apart from the world and they will have to be made holy. The word is used in the New Testament and many substitutes or synonyms are used. One of the words is to purify. In Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And in Ephesians 5, we have this word, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing and that she should be holy and blameless. It's always been God's will. So his prayer for the believers, for his disciples and for us is that we would be sanctified. The first meaning is separation to God and the second meaning is separation from sin. We're to be made holy. Now he further prays, sanctify them by the truth. I don't know about you, but I, if I were writing this, I would have used a different word. I would have said, sanctify them through the Holy Spirit. Sanctify them through thy grace. Sanctify them through thy mercy. But Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. If you're like me, you associate truth differently than Jesus did. Truth is used in terms of facts or history or mathematics. But you see, one is not sanctified by studying differential equations or the surface of the moon. Here, Jesus blends holiness and truth together. Jesus uses truth to mean the revelation that sets us free from sin. It's not a knowledge about things, it's a knowledge about God. That's why Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. There's a realm of God that when it's understood by us gives us liberty and freedom from sin and power in the Holy Spirit and God calls that truth. Jesus had come into the world for one purpose and that purpose was that he would give eternal life to all of those who would believe on him. He came, us, came to free us from sin, slavery over us, and he came to reconcile us to the Father. And he's about to go to Calvary. He said, I finished the work that you gave me to do, but I have a prayer for the church. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in your truth. The truth Jesus is talking about is the very atmosphere and the character of God. It is the written word, but it's more than the written word. It is the living word, but it's more than living word. It's the, it's the whole character and sum of God's environment and character. It's truth. The pulpit commentary explains it this way. Sanctifying through the truth means recalling to man his evil life, awakening his consciousness to sin, informing us of God's holiness, Securing forgiveness through redemption, offering sanctification by the Spirit, and bringing upon the human heart the highest, purest, and most effectual motives 
motives to stir the aspirations to holiness. I couldn't think of anything to leave out there, but I did want to reiterate. He's saying, when he says, sanctify them to the truth, he's saying this, Father, you sent me into the world for one purpose, and that's to redeem these people around me. They're not there yet. They're believers. But if they're going to be effective in doing your work, the work that you sent me into the world to do to carry this on, there, something is going to have to happen in their lives, and they're going to have to see it. They're going to have to see your holiness. They're going to have to perceive your glory, and for that he prayed. And when they begin to see that, they'll begin to see themselves and their sinfulness, and they'll acknowledge that they need redemption, that they'll need sanctification and holiness in their lives. And they will know that they are nothing without you. And that's what I'm praying for in the truth. And when they see that, that truth will liberate them. They will be set free. Christ prayed for God to do something to and for us and to do it in the framework of the truth. And he must show us his holiness. And he must show us who we are. To the extent that we realize if we become the center of all that our lives is to be, we'll self-destruct. We are absolutely nothing without him. That's true. I wanted to paraphrase this verse, and I did it this way. Father, sanctify them through the absolute divine plan for them in Christ, which is intended to set them absolutely free from sin. That's true. It is, it is though he's praying for the disciples to plunge headlong into a swimming pool of truth and just bathe in it. Fill themselves with a very understanding of who God is. And when we see God and we see ourselves and our sinfulness and the salvation in Christ, Christ, that truth is bringing us to this place. Sanctification. And it is to that end that Jesus prayed. If the present disciples and the future disciples were going to carry on the work of the Lord and finish the work he began, they needed to be sanctified. We believe sanctification to be a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, Christ had been with them up to this time. And the three chapters preceding this one, he's describing someone who's coming. And he said, he will be with you forever. And he uses phrases, the comforter, the counselor, the, the one who is going to illuminate truth. Christ was now leaving. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that the disciples would carry on the work. And Jesus prayed this prayer. Sanctification was something the disciples lacked. And so he said, Father, sanctify them through the truth. But what of this work of the Holy Spirit? How does it happen? When does it happen? How often does it happen? There's something else that I was intrigued with in this passage of Scripture. It involves the tenses of the Greek verbs. The tense of the Greek verb to sanctify them is in a moment of time. Sanctify them. It just means now. You can pinpoint it on a map. 
You can pinpoint it on a timeline, sanctify them through the truth. And then his prayer is not done. It is, we receive that in a, in a, in a moment of time. So then what happens? Is that it? Is that, is it over? If God sanctifies us, does that take care of it from now on? There's where the rest of this passage comes to my rescue. No, it's only the beginning. After one is sanctified, then as one is equipped to do what God has for him to do. In my devotions yesterday, I was here praying at the church and then I was walking around the back parking lot and rather than walking in circles, I thought, why don't I walk in a straight line? I'll get farther. So I started walking home. And while I was walking home, it was still early in the morning, uh, very few cars on the highway, so I just listened as part of my devotions. And I listened to the birds, and I looked down and began to observe some of the little spiders and creatures going around. And the Lord seemed to speak to me through that. I was reminded of the verses that says, let everything that hath breath give praise and glory to God. And I thought, what are they doing? What's that bird doing? And you know, you recognize certain birds and their calls and begin to identify them. And But I said, Lord, he's doing exactly what you made him to do. I was reminded of Job when, when God has questions of Job and he says of this animal, he said, Job, you know why that animal forsakes its young? Because I made it that way, that's why. And you know why this little spider goes here and there and makes its nest over there? Because I made it that way. You know why this bird has this one particular call? Because I made it that way. You know what he's saying in John 17? Father, you know how you've made them. You know what they're to say. You know what they're to do. I pray that you would sanctify them so that they will be equipped to do what you made them to do. Once our heart is filled with God's love, we can then become effective in the task that he's given for us to do. Which is, which is tied right into the next verse. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I believe our sanctification is directly tied to our impact upon the world. God wants us to be, a, be sanctified. One of those purposes is to carry out the gospel. And it doesn't mean that he's going to call all of us to be pastors and missionaries. Some will be teachers. Some will be lawyers and doctors. And some will be on a machine line. But God has called us into various portions, placed us in strategic places so that we can be effective in the world. And that is a part of living the sanctified life. That's why he was praying that they would be sanctified. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now listen to this. And for them, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. Now that's really the two definitions for sanctification Jesus did not fulfill. He had already been set apart. He was already pure. He was already holy. The scripture clearly says he was without sin. He was set apart 
from the very beginning for the task that, that he received. But the Greek changes here. It's not, Lord, do something to be in a moment of time. It's not, Lord, I need to work in my life at this moment. His word uses this way. In the Greek, it says it started way back here and it continues right now. And he says it this way, Lord, and for their sakes, I continue to keep myself sanctified that they might be sanctified truly. Now, let me give you the other portion of that verb. He changes from the active when he says sanctify them through the truth. Now he changes to the passive voice. And it's so it's this way, Lord, sanctify them in a moment of time. And for their sakes, I continue to keep myself sanctified in that place where you have placed me so that they can continue to be sanctified. That helps me. There was no need for Christ to be made holy, but he kept himself in that place so that we could do the same. So that once we are sanctified, we could say, okay, for the world and the work that you have entrusted me to do for their sakes. Boy, what an important phrase. You see, sanctification is not tied into something selfish. For their sakes, he said, I keep myself in separation and in relationship to you so that they can keep themselves separated from the world and in relationship to you. So once we become sanctified, we're to maintain that relationship with the Lord. And we are to continue to maintain that pure and holy relationship with him because now we are equipped. Once that prayer is answered, we'll begin to see these things for which he prayed identified in our lives. And this is all done in the framework of the truth. The truth about the world, the truth about God, the truth about who we are, and the truth about who he is. For the church to be the church, the believers must be sanctified. And Jesus knew that. The whole setting of this in Scripture, after his ministry, just before the cross, this prayer, the need of the church. This was the heart of his prayer. Are, these, are there conditions for this to be fulfilled? Oh, I think there are. Look at verse 10. What was Jesus saying? All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. That's how he could say, I continue to keep myself sanctified. Because he had made complete consecration of everything God had given to him. If we're going to maintain sanctification in our lives, that must be our attitude as well. See, everything is in this prayer. That's why I wanted to read it in its entirety. It's all here. To maintain that relationship of sanctification. He said all I have is yours. And then I love this. And they know it. <laughs> when you say all that I have is God's. Do other people know it? Are you giving testimony as he gave testimony? That's all part of being sanctified. And how about this one? 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Preached a sermon not too long ago, love not the world, hate the world. It's a commandment. You know what's in the world? All that's not in truth. To continue in the sanctified life, we need to say no to everything that's of the world. We're to be separate from the world. And you cannot maintain that relationship of being sanctified and useful for God and productive in the kingdom and flirt with the world. It will not happen. That's why Jesus said, Father, they must be sanctified in the fullest sense, in the truth. It's not just a little experience that you receive. It's a lifestyle being bathed in the truth and the holiness of God. Christ will empower you to live the holy life. We said Wednesday night in our Bible study of James, we could never get to the place where we say, God, that was too much. You gave me too much. I couldn't withstand that. I know you're not supposed to give me too much, but I think you did. That's a lie. That's a lie. When the scripture says that his grace is sufficient, when the scripture says that in every temptation he will make a way of escape, folks, that's truth. It's not God's opinion. It's truth. <laughs> it's not just an opinion of a gospel writer. It's truth. And God empowers us. He knew, Jesus knew, something would have to happen in the heart of these believers if they were going to be victorious in the world and before they could be sent effectively into the world. And then that attitude that Jesus had for their sakes, I sanctify myself. There's not a higher and more pure motive for sanctification than for you to kneel and say, Heavenly Father, for the sake of a lost and dying world, for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I give myself completely to you that the power of Christ might rest upon me. It's not to be better than the other guy. It's not to receive a different experience so that you have one up on somebody else. It's for their sins. I sanctify myself. We must make a complete consecration to Christ. We read in our membership class this morning that we believe entire sanctification is preceded by entire consecration. We must make up our minds not to love the world. And we must feel sent into the world for their sakes. And we must keep ourselves sanctified through the truth. If we do, this will happen. Joy. Protection. Sanctification. Power in evangelism. Unity. Bathed in holy love and filled with the fullness of Christ. We say, Pastor, what if I don't? What if I don't get sanctified? Well, you could probably read your story in 1 Corinthians, the most troubled book that we have in the New Testament. Where these things were replaced by jealousy, envy, Discord, slander. You could further replace this list by trying to live the Christian life and being frustrated, 
feeling ineffective, sensing a lack of power, a lack of direction, a lack of commitment, this list will be wiped out and be supplemented by all of those other things. You see, Jesus knew his believers, the disciples, needed an experience that would carry them through anything. And that's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Only the believers are a candidate. He said specifically, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those you gave me out of the world. See, it's the believers who are the candidates. Are you sanctified? Are you filled with God's Holy Spirit? Has there come that moment of time when God sanctified you and have you determined in your heart you're going to live that way for the rest of your life and grow in all the grace that God gives you? We are a holiness church and we believe in what we're saying this morning about a work of God in the heart that deals with the very nature of the heart to sanctify believers. And I don't know of any stronger place to preach it than right out of this prayer for ye, from Jesus to his holy and righteous Father. Have you been frustrated and felt like temptation is stronger than you are? That you have no power and effect in temptation? Have you been frustrated with how effective you are in the world? Maybe you need to say, Lord, have I brought myself to this place where I have allowed you to answer this prayer of my Savior? to my heavenly Father, that I be sanctified holy. Through and through. Are you a vital part of fulfilling the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe your need this morning, maybe the frustration that you have had perhaps for years is to be sanctified through and through. And let that begin the process of understanding a whole new dimension of God. That's His will. It was the most important thing on Christ's mind before he left the world. That they be sanctified in the truth. Stand with me, please. Prior to singing a hymn of invitation, I'd like for us to pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning as we have opened your word, and we have seen you in the place of prayer, it's almost been holy ground. Sensing your prayer for us. And we know that the things that we understand of, of God are only understood by your revelation. Maybe there's some here this morning that said, I'm not a candidate to be sanctified. I'm not even saved. Lord Jesus, through this message, we believe that you could have also spoken to them about their need of God. Perhaps there's one here this morning that said, I've been saved and I'm sanctified. Since that time, there's there's been some things that have happened and I'm not sure I could pray the prayer. I want to continue on in this. Maybe there's been some things that have slipped. The Lord Jesus is in the business of restoration. This is His prayer. He's not a God to condemn us, but to redeem us and sanctify us through and through. So that we can do what he has made us from the very beginning. Lord Jesus, that's your will for us. And as we go into this time of invitation, Father, we commit it to you. We commit those who have a spiritual need this morning. 
Help them not to be afraid of the place of prayer, but to come to you to find that answer for their lives. And thank you for this, your holy truth, in Christ's name. Turn to hymn 301, and we're going to sing together, Whiter Than Snow, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole.